Friends, family, enemies, and strangers of all kinds. Welcome back to the Extra Milestone, your weekly cinema holic spin-off series where we go back in time to discuss the classic films. <laughs> enemies. <laughs> you shout out the enemies. I'm sorry, go on. I mean, why not? Well, sure, yeah, yeah. I don't sure. wanna I don't wanna close anyone out just because True. No, we're you're right, you're right. Hit it against each other. You're right, yeah. Yeah, we talk about old movies. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's what we do here on The Extra Milestone. I'm your host, Sam Noland, as always. And I have a returning guest on The Extra Milestone. You know him, and if you don't, you will love him. Everyone, Aww. here's Jason. Oh, that's a tie-in to yes. what we're going to talk about. Hello, everyone. Yes. I'm Jason. How's it going? <laughs> the show is off to a tremendously Tremendous start. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. We planned all this, yeah. Yeah, Jason, It's it's been a little while, hasn't it? It has. Uh, I actually have no idea how long it's been. Um, oh, gosh. It's been knows? almost two months. Has it really? The tech, okay. There's probably a way of finding out. Yeah. The, the, probably. We, we, uh, we did an extra milestone episode at the end of June, I want to say, where we talked yeah. about uh, Breathless and Eyes Without That's a Face it. and yep. Deep Red, and that yep. was a lot of fun. Oh, great. Yeah. Loved and we, we did, I, I'm actually just now realizing this, we did three horror movies or no, we did two horror movies in that episode, and yeah. I've, and we're doing like three of them in this one. Or three, yeah, least, yeah, you could call them all all three horror movies, horror yeah. adjacent. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. We are of course uh, longtime cohorts from anyway. That's all I got. Our old podcast that we did <laughs> yep. yeah. with our friend Anthony Battaglia, and mm-hmm. we have united once more in the midst <laughs> of worldwide chaos. Yeah, because Jason. There is a movie celebrating its 40th anniversary this yeah. year. Yep. And, and we're a couple of months behind, so it's not actually this month, but back in June. And I was like, okay, it's got to be Jason. It's got to be Jason. I have, it, I have to have Jason on because we are, of course, talking about the inimitable classic Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Jason, you are. If if you listened to uh, the anyway, that's all I got. You know that I would only chime in if I could, uh, you know, <laughs> mention The Shining somehow. <laughs> that is an enormous exaggeration, but sure, <laughs> let's go with it. Jason, you're an enormous fan. Oh yeah, of The Shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I used to watch a lot of. I, I don't know if you would do this too, Sam, but I would watch. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, like look up movies in parts on YouTube. Oh, weird. Uh, did you ever do that, like, back in the day? I've done it for, like, really weird movies that I can't find anywhere else. Like, the first one that jumps to mind is, this is going to make you laugh, there was an animated Titanic movie shortly oh, uh, after the, James the, Cameron's. The one with the talking mice? That's the one. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And I decided to watch it. The, not the Legend ago. Goes On or something the like legend that? Goes on, yeah. <laughs> the Legend Goes On. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The only place I could find it was separated into, like, I forget, like nine parts, I think, on oh, YouTube. Oh, that's fantastic. So I didn't there know are a few movies you can do it. I tend to go for the 
you know, the bona fide experience though. Yes. Yeah. So back in elementary school, I, I didn't care about that. I just wanted to watch whatever. So, you know, I'd, I'd go on there, I'd find sleepaway camp. I'd find, <laughs> uh, I think I watched the first half of like Cujo on there. Uh-huh. Um, didn't care for that at the time. Cause sure. I, I don't know. I don't know who, who knows what, you know, elementary school me was thinking, but I did you find, do, I, I don't, <laughs> but I did find, Correct. Uh, the Shining, but you know, I didn't. It, it's YouTube, so they can't have certain scenes in there. So you watched uh, a fragmented version of The Shining in elementary school. Yes, and so uh, it was probably that split in, so much. Yeah, probably split into ten parts or something. And oh my goodness, three of the parts were taken down for copyright. One of them, they just couldn't show what was happening in the scene. If you've seen the movie, you know you probably know which part I'm talking about. Sure. And so, yeah, that was. The first time I watched it, but I've probably seen it, uh, I don't know, 30 times since. Oh, goodness. Maybe. I don't, I'm just I, guessing. I did not know it was that many. That I'm guessing. Lot. I've seen it a lot. I I, I loved it. Uh, if you would have asked me a year ago, uh, it probably my favorite movie. I have no idea what my favorite movie is now, so I can't you know definitively say that. But Let's just say it's, it's The there. Shining, just it, it, to lend yeah. some gravitas to this. Sure. Episode. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> So it, so I wait. I'm curious. So you watched the fragmented, weird version in yes. elementary school. Yes. What do you remember? What your reaction was at the time? Did you love um, it that first time? I remember, you know, the "Here's Johnny" part. Me being like, "Oh, that's that," mm. and then I think that's it. That that's is the, that's it. That's that it. was the main takeaway I got from it. But it was enough for you to go back eventually. Oh yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there was only then, I assume, when you realize the classic it truly was. You know, I wish I knew exactly when that was, but somewhere around viewing seventeen, probably. Probably, <laughs> probably somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Weirdly enough, I have not a entirely dissimilar experience. The first time I saw it was in the summer of two thousand fourteen, and that was. About a year after I'd really starting started getting into movies in earnest, like I really yeah. thought this is an art form I really want to invest myself in. And so at the time, I was sort of trying to expand my knowledge, even if even if it meant not actually watching the movies, just sort of knowing about them. And I remember oh, yeah. I yeah, found yeah. this list of I was going through the decades one at a time and I found a list of the best movies of the 80s. And of course, as it is with many similar list the shining was on there and i had never heard of it i saw i saw jack nicholson i'm like oh yeah that's the guy who played the joker in that batman movie i really like and yeah i was like it's based on a stephen king movie i've heard that name i was very malinformed at the time and so i remember <laughs> and it was weird because if memory serves it was just before my family went on like a little road trip to uh, not to the mountains, but through the mountains uh, to the Four Corners area where those yeah. four states meet up at once. Yep. And so it was weird seeing this movie about this isolated location and then immediately sort of living it out in a way. And I remember watching it then and being interested by it, but not really captivated. I was not prepared for how insidious and creeping into your soul the movie is like yeah. I was expecting something a little bit more traditionally exciting from the horror genre, so to speak. Uh, and I didn't get it and I wasn't completely on board with it. And so it, it was actually a very long time before I rewatched it 
just this past winter because Dr. Sleep was coming out. I'm like, I'm going to rewatch uh, The Shining. Why not? And I fell in love with it. It was so much better than yeah. I was able to grasp at the time. And getting to watch it again last night at like two in the morning was just, it, it gets even better every time. And so I can't yeah. wait to keep yeah. watching it over and over again throughout my life. Oh, it's 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 a movie I find myself watching once, maybe twice a year, honestly. <laughs> um, whether it's just showing someone who you know, everyone knows The Shining, but yeah. honestly, not a lot of people have sat down and watched The Shining hmm. beginning to end because, you know, it's it's pretty long or long for some It's longer than most movies. Yes, yeah, yeah. for some people's standards. Um, and, you know, some people have just seen a couple clips and will say like, oh, yeah, I've seen it. So I, I have found myself actually like, you know, interrogating people being like, oh, really? So what happens in this part? If you don't know, I'm going to make you watch it right now. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it's kind of one of those movies where like in, <laughs> I'm picturing you know, them like wanting to get up and leave. Oh no, they do. Like, they hold do. On. Yeah. Hold on. What happens in this part? Yeah. Um, Jason, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like living in Colorado, it, it yes. feels almost necessary for you to watch it. Yes. Yeah. Which brings me to my next point that oh, I yes. wanted to bring yep. up. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, the movie, the shining, let, let's just get some sort of, basic nuts and bolts out of the way. So it is based on the Stephen King novel from, I believe the seventies. Have you read the book of the show? I've never read a single Stephen King book. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. I I haven't read it either. If I've, if I had had more time, I might've tried to crank it out, but I regret not having that information, but evidently it does deviate a lot. So it'd be interesting to see. Yes. I've heard some of the comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It is directed by Stanley Kubrick, of course, and I found out that the way this sort of came about was is a fascinating story because it was his first movie after Barry Lyndon, which we've seen together in yes, theaters in with theaters. our other friend Guy. Yep. It was really, it was so great. I love that movie so much. Beautiful. Um, and what happened was that came out and it was not a huge hit. It was just not really? what people are, were in the mood for. And it's on, on one hand, it's easy to see why. It's this period piece that's incredibly long. It's over three hours. Yeah. And- it's how should I describe it? It's this weird kind of drama that you almost can't help but laugh at and get giddy about in certain times. Yeah, it definitely feels like a comedy, kind of confusing. It, it I remember seeing it in theaters and just being like confused on whether I was supposed to laugh or not, but in a good way. I think you are. Yeah, I think you are, and and especially when you see the final like ending what's the word inner title card of the movie yeah. that really just yeah. ties it all together. And I feel, I actually, I mean, we're going to get into this later. I actually feel kind of similarly about the shining, especially in the first act when it comes to that sort of insidious comedy, but it wasn't a huge hit. And so it was decided that, okay, maybe Stanley should do like a movie that'll appeal to the masses a little bit more. And so what happened was that Stanley Kubrick, I I forget if he wanted, if he decided outright to do a horror movie or if it just sort of organically formed, but he got a bunch of horror novels and sort of sequestered himself into his office at one point. And his secretary tells the story of hearing repeatedly Stanley grabbing a book 
reading the first few pages and then like tossing it at the wall out of sheer frustration. Like I if could, it didn't grasp imagine. him, yeah, I can yeah. totally see that. Yeah. If it didn't grasp him within just a couple of pages, then it wasn't worthy. But at one point she realized, wait a second, I haven't heard a book hit the wall in a while. And as it turns out, that was The Shining. Yeah. And it was written by Stephen King who, and I might be getting some details wrong, but it was after he visited the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado one night and got the idea of sort of this cabin fever related story of like a haunted hotel and stuff. And so what they did was they did not actually film it at the Stanley Hotel, which I didn't know until like just last night. And they built a soundstage in England. So that in that all that iconic imagery of the hotel you see, that's all a soundstage, which was it's really immaculate, so that was actually a surprise to me. But yeah, yeah, what happened was last night. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, where were you last night? I I knew <laughs> I'm going to be talking about The Shining tomorrow. And as you probably know, Jason and I live in the beautiful rectangular state of Colorado, and I yep. decided the Stanley Hotel is only like an hour away. I should go there, and it was like <laughs> eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> And so sure enough, (laughs) I got in the car, I drove through the mountains all the way to Estes Park, which I actually do all the time. It's one of my favorite places to go, but I never gone there specifically to see the hotel. And it takes you up this like winding road that's even creepier at night. And I got there and I walk inside and I had called ahead and they were fine with this, uh, that I could like sort of look at the hotel a little bit, but I go inside and there isn't a soul to be seen. And it's this huge just just vast lobby that you go into and there's like an old car there and it's got the carpets and stuff yeah like a weirdly like long skinny lobby yeah it's 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 not kind of eerie it's it's sort of it goes long way yeah not Uh, a grand room Mm -hmm. but a long room and so i'm like oh my gosh this is the scariest thing ever and so i started walking around the hotel a little bit just sort of trying to get a sense of it and then at one point i go i wind up back in the lobby and uh i look at the desk one second i look away and then i look back and there's someone standing there and i just about (laughs) jumped out of my skin (laughs) you didn't tell me that part yeah i wanted to i wanted to keep it a secret but and i was like oh gosh hey And so I go up and I say, hey, my name is Sam and I do a podcast about movies. And in in the middle of that sentence, I realized this is the start of like a Kevin Smith movie. I'm going to get is exactly how Tusk started. Yeah, (laughs) I was I really I got really terrified. And what made it worse was that or not worse, but just more memorable was that I don't know if they do this on purpose. I like to think that they do the A.C the air conditioner in like the lobby and most, and a lot of the uh, hotels on the, or the rooms I should say on the bottom floor has this high pitched hum to it. That sounds yeah. exactly like that weird violin string yeah. that yeah, just yeah. goes throughout the movie. And reverberation like, violin. Th- this is scary some, sounds. This is some real traumatizing stuff yeah. you're doing here at Stanley hotel. And I go downstairs and I look around And there are a bunch of posters, not for the movie The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, but for Mm. the 1997 miniseries produced by Stephen King. Yep. Who took a lot of issue with Stephen with uh, Stanley Kubrick? Yeah, he. I believe he wanted to make. You say 97? Is that when it was? 
Yes. Okay. I believe he like just really wanted to make that after seeing the shining mm-hmm. uh, Kubrick one, because it, it was, you know, not what he wanted it. There's a few sections that kind of, you know, it's like a middle finger to Stephen King of the actual shining movie. Yeah. Um, there's a few, few moments in there. So yeah, I remember him just wanting to make like a definitive uh, adaptation of his novel including the, the the weird stuff that I'm glad wasn't included, but yeah, where the, like the hedges come yeah, to exactly, life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's very strange. I have not actually seen that miniseries from what I've heard. I've not either. I've not either. great. I've heard uh, mostly negative things about it, but I remember mm-hmm. working with a man who said it was his favorite movie of all time. The 97 miniseries. Yes. Yes. I remember. That's so weird. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I will check it out because I trust you, I guess. <laughs> and you never did. I you know I never did. I never did. But it's still in my watch list of things to watch. So, yeah, uh, I'll get around. We to all it. we all have just huge watch lists. Oh but yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And so I was sort of weirded out because I guess there was no reference made to Stanley Kubrick's movie whatsoever. So I almost wonder if they have like struck a deal with Stephen King or something. Uh, I I'm gonna. I actually don't know. So it would make sense because they actually did film the miniseries. At the Stanley Hotel, so it oh, makes they sense did. Okay, that they would see, I didn't know that. that. I didn't actually know that. Okay, a that makes more, that makes a lot of sense because I remember taking a tour there. Uh, just going to say, if you ever go there, don't take the tour. It's interesting, but they will make you not believe in ghosts going there on that are tour. A few, there are a few places that you can't go unless you take the tour. So yeah. I it was I regretted that I wasn't able to see those places. I but. I think the way you did it actually is the the way to go. Because, because you got to understand, it was like midnight and there wasn't anyone there. Yeah. And it's like this building where all the doors are open so anyone can just walk in yeah. and there's just no one there. And you're walking around as there's like just ambient noise. And it really, really got me in the mood. And then I yeah. went, I was going to go right home and watch the movie. And this is a this is a tangent. It has nothing to do with the actual movie, but I just feel <laughs> okay. responsible for telling this story. Course, I was yeah. driving back home the way I came through the mountains. Um, and I see along the way, someone stranded on the side of the road no. and is holding out their thumb. I'm like, no, if I get murdered, like helping a hitchhiker after going to see the Stanley hotel in preparation for a podcast about the shining, it will make the news. I'm doing it. Probably I pulled over. You did. Yeah. No way. Oh yes. my God. It was someone, their, <laughs> oh their car broke down. I will say this. Uh, I actually told them about the podcast. So Izzy, if you're listening, hi, hope you made it to work. Okay. Hi Izzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wow. just, I, I gave this person a ride 15 minutes to uh, their friend's house and I was wow. like, yeah, it was crazy. I will never forget it. it was yeah. That's, and I know, that's interesting. <laughs> I know some people might be freaking out. I was freaking out too, but I was yeah. like, I, I will, I will regret not doing this because I oh, just yeah. have that much kindness. In my oh, life. I'll be honest. I wouldn't have done it. Absolutely yeah. not. I would not have done that. Yeah. But and good you know you. what? I don't think anyone could be too upset, but I thought this would make a fantastic story. I hope it did. Yeah. I think that, I think that's great. Yeah. That's wild. So I was reading up on The Shining a little bit, and I found out a few interesting behind the scenes facts. One of them was that I already knew that the production was really troublesome for a variety of reasons that we'll get into, but it was just most of it amounted to it just taking so long. I think it took 
if if I remember correctly, it took somewhere in the ballpark of a year to film, which was way yeah. over schedule, uh, to the point where it actually delayed Raiders of the Lost Ark being filmed oh, really? on the same yeah on the same studios or the same set or something. Uh, so we actually got Raiders of the Lost Ark a year or so later than we were supposed to because of The Shining. Okay. How fascinating is that? Interesting. Uh, I think Gremlins one, has a weird history with that too. Sorry. Yes, it does. Yeah. They, they both, they, they weave together. Don't they, they do. They do. Um, I found out a few other actors besides Jack Nicholson that were, that were considered for the role of Jack Torrance. And I got to admit, these are all good actors, but I cannot imagine any of them. The three, evidently, that were the closest to being cast, Robert De Niro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I have, I have no idea about this. Go on. That would be, I, I honestly can't see it. Robert De Niro is a, is a quite good actor, especially yeah. at this time. I, I honestly can't see it. It would yeah. have been really uh just so much different. Plus, uh, he was doing Raging Bull instead. So I think True. everything yeah. worked out okay. Yeah. The other one, and this one blew my mind, Robin Williams. <laughs> Robin Williams is Jack Torrance. You know what? What I kind think, of butterfly effect universe would we live in had th- that come to pass? I think that could have been good, actually. You think I so? Think, I think under Stanley Kubrick, I think that could have been amazing. How would Robin Williams have turned out differently, though, after working with Stanley Kubrick? You think? I, I mean, True. I like to think that everyone on the set would have had a more fun time because yeah. Robin Williams was there. I so I do think Jack Nicholson would have been better, but I think Robin Williams under Stanley Kubrick would have been really good. I don't know if he was doing like anything other than comedy, maybe drama roles at that time. I I don't know yeah, his don't history know of things, but uh, it it would have. It would have been interesting. It really sure. would have been. Yeah. And the third one, and this one, I, I laughed for a solid 10 minutes at the idea of Harrison Ford <laughs> playing Jack Torrance. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Lloyd. Slow night. He, That's all I, I got. I can see it. I feel like, you know, when he gets mad in movies, it's it's pretty scary. He It's, it's scary, but... It's something like familiar. It's like almost it's like, in a funny way, though. It's like Harrison Ford, even in the 80s, had almost this like sort of crotchety older guy kind of yeah. vibe to him, you know, where just everything sort of irritated him a little bit. And this is and apparently this is somewhat uh, based on fact. Yeah, I, I know oh, he's yeah. a notoriously yeah, yeah. bad interview, for instance. Yeah. yeah, unless he's with Ryan Gosling. But I, yeah, I guess <laughs> so. Ryan really brings the really brings the Ford out of Harrison. Yeah. But yeah. I I, honest, I honestly just trying to picture any of those in this role is so strange. Yeah, and I'm sure some of them could be good in it, but none of them would be as good as Jack Nicholson. I think he was, and I hate saying born for this role because that's just a weird thing to say. But I genuinely think him and Shelley Duvall were born for this role. Like it is mm-hmm. some of the two two of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So yeah. you know, let, let's just segue right into the movie. So we're so. F- I just want to say right up front, we're going to assume you've seen the movie, so we're not going to really be coy about uh, giving away the ending or the plot points or anything. So if you haven't seen The Shining for whatever reasons, for the for the love of God, uh, do yourself a favor yeah. and check out yeah. The Shining and thank us later once you listen back. <laughs> Jason, why don't you give like um, give sort of the basic premise of this movie? Like if you had to describe it to someone, if you had to pitch it to someone, what would you say? So... Um... There is 
a man. Yes. <laughs> um, and somehow he gets kind of selected to be the uh, the caretaker for yeah. a uh, a very popular what would I call it a resort a hotel Jason. hotel resort. Yeah. It's it's a whole thing. It's um, a hotel like specifically meant for the summer season because they say that they're closed during the winter because the storms it's are just weird. So bad. It's weird and kind of. It's a weird setup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, this this hotel is vacant during the winter because from, from I believe it's November through May, or it might yeah. even be October through May. So that is more than half a year of being alone in this nearly empty building all to yourself while you're trapped and can't go anywhere and are cut off from the outside world for seven months. Exactly. So we get a little bit of history from the uh, beginning interview, um, letting yeah. letting the audience know that it, it's been a thing before people mm-hmm. going there, bringing their families. The, the and- proprietor of the hotel who's interviewing Jack Nicholson is, yes. in that opening scene is played by Barry Nelson, who is the first live action James Bond. A lot of people don't know. What do you mean? Before Sean Connery, there was an episode of the television series climax in 1954 (laughs) where they adapted casino Royale into like a a one hour program. And it was James Bond is American in that Jimmy Bond. And it's really, really lo-fi, but Peter Laurie, Peter Laurie from M plays Le Chiffre, yeah. oh. and that's kind of the only fun part about it. It's watchable, especially because it's short, but it's not that great. But technically, Sean Connery was not the first James Bond. It was this guy. That's interesting, because now that you say that, I could see this guy is kind of being like a, you know, old James Bond. Yeah. The way he kind of hunches <laughs> over it his was, desk, I don't know. Granted, it was 26 years Yeah, earlier, exactly, but yes. exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so we we learned through the interview that people have done this before, and it didn't it didn't work out that well. Yeah. Um, for uh, past uh, care, caretakers of the hotel, and so uh, Jack Nicholson's character decides to bring his family up uh, so <laughs> yeah. they can take we care meet, of the hotel. We meet Wendy and Danny. Wendy and Danny uh, mm-hmm. living uh, in Denver. Oh, wait, no, not in Denver, Boulder. It's in yeah, it's in Boulder. Boulder. Um, mm-hmm. Jack Jack Nicholson works in Denver. I think. I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, so Something Boulder, like we see them, uh, you know, they seem kind of like a normal, normal, uh, you know, mom and son. Uh, but there's a little bit of like a hidden hidden backstory there that we're just kind of, we can kind of guess on. Um, yeah, because Danny is brushing his teeth one night and just sort of has an episode. Like sort yeah. of, I it, the, we never find out exactly what happens, but he sort of just totally blanks out and so they call i assume a doctor of some kind and yeah. shelly duvall as wendy tells the story of previous injury in which jack torrance played by jack nicholson which is convenient yeah. came home one night and had been sipping a bit of the old alcohol yep and went to grab danny's arm and ripped it out of the socket just grabbed a little bit too hard and so that inspired him to say, Wendy, I'm not touching alcohol anymore. That's it. I'm and, on the wagon. And as Wendy says, it's just one of those things you do a million times and it never hurts anyone. Mm-hmm. But this time it just happened too. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a, a defense for Jack. Yeah. And the, the immediate cutaway to the doctor is fantastic. And uh, right off the bat, 
we get this sense of just impending dread. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yep. Like it's the thing, it's almost the most unsettling thing about this movie is the way it never, even as the horror escalates, it never changes style really. Yeah. It always has the same feel to it. And it creates this environment in which you really believe that there is just insanity everywhere waiting for its opportunity to just burst out and attack everything around. Like there's this thing I always think about. Um, Jason and I are not in the same room right now. We're doing this over, uh, over a, over a call, but if we were in the same room, let's just imagine that we are the only thing hypothetically between you and me trying to murder each other is three days without food. That would be all it takes. And our yeah. entire friendship is out the window and yeah. we are killing and eating. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I think I know it's a morbid thing, but no, I, 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 I love you, man. But I it's food like I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I wouldn't be that tasty. I do not have a lot of that <laughs> whatsoever. So I apologize in advance for that no, day that hopefully okay. never comes. I'll forgive you. But I, I think about things like that all the time. How. There is just this capacity for evil, just as much as there is a capacity for good in every single aspect of life. Everywhere, everything has has the potential for everything. And we see in the first act of this movie, this is what I was referencing earlier with sort of the weird, dark comedy of it. The writing is almost comically on the wall from the first few establishing scenes. So we we have this hotel that is isolated and completely abandoned. We have the weather conditions, which will stop them from being able to leave or go anywhere or indeed communicate with anyone because the radio lines and stuff eventually get switched off. We have a recovering alcoholic who is on the wagon and has a history of abuse. Yeah, five months, not too long on the wagon, but sure. Oh yeah, yeah. But enough to still, to, enough to probably still be feeling the symptoms of withdrawal. Oh and yeah. Then, oh for sure. What really pushes it over the edge, and it just, I, I, I just love this moment for so many reasons. As they're, they show up at the hotel, they're getting a tour, and the tour guide offhand, like with, with almost no regard whatsoever, says, oh yeah, and this hotel was built on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I think, I'm probably wrong, I think that's like a main part of the book, I'm not. I think so too, I'm not positive. sure. If, if um, someone someone correct us in the comments, but that the way that he just sort of throws that out without yeah, even thinking of yeah, it yeah. is so it's so morbidly funny to me the way that they think nothing is going to happen, yeah. and then on top and then in, on top of that they say in that same exact tone apparently the original builders of this hotel actually had to fight off some Indians yeah they were trying to <laughs> yeah. reclaim the land that was stolen from them. And instead, so this his, so this hotel is cursed immediately. Yeah, and it is just so weirdly scary and funny to me at the same and, time. And, and there's also the the nail in the coffin is as they're driving up and they say and they just randomly bring up the Donner Party. Like, yeah, okay, this is the movie we're in for. Yeah, which is when you can kind of start noticing Jack being like already fed up with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, even actually, I'll even say like when he's calling in the beginning, the first moment you see between him and Shelley Duvall is like, he's already like annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that whole sequence where they are, you know, walking around the hotel is just scary for so many reasons. You know, of course, like you said, they're <laughs> mentioning, uh, Indian bur- burial grounds and stuff. And that's 
you know, nowadays we know that that's like a major red flag um, for any horror movie. I'm sure it was a red flag at the time. Do you like, think it was? Just, you think it was? I feel like that I, I, we could be so wrong here. I feel like that's, that goes back a while. The old. Okay. Cause I just remember hearing about that, that with that and like poltergeist. And I think that's it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it comes from some long. I'm, I'm sure it we're, does too. We're not as well versed in it as we should. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, but that, no, there's so many little things about that whole sequence. Like the, uh, the guy who doesn't speak like mm-hmm. the, 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 the other guy in the interview who I think introduces himself in that first part where he meets Jack, but then for the rest of it, he's just following them and staring dead at them. Yeah. Like if you just focus mm-hmm. on him, you'll be like, all right, something's up here, you know? And, and it's not from them, from the people who run it, but like some, something's up, something scary yeah. here. Uh, and then a, just to, just to little, sort of little things. Just to sort of set the last final pieces of the stage, the the one other thing that we find out before the movie sort of really kicks into the actual, you know, meat of it is we find out that oh, yeah, Danny. Yeah, yeah, this is a big part. Yeah. Is psychic. Yep. And is not the only one. They meet Dick Halloran, played by uh, Scatman Crothers, and they start communicating telepathically. And we find out that it is just an ability that some people possess, not a lot, but they do exist out there. And they have this ability of reading each other's minds and sort of being able to tap into sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of the essence of a place. Exactly. It's it's the history of, yeah, it's the history of a place. Uh, yeah. Any Anything that's really happened to that place or anything that will happen to that place, you kind of tap mm-hmm. into it. Exactly. And that is where the title comes from. They call that ability the shining. Yeah. It's and thus vague for a reason. Kind of it like is very the, vague the, for the a reason. powers of it, I guess. I, I have no idea if this is true or not. I read that that uh that Stephen King came up with that from the John Lennon song We All Shine On. Interesting. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah that that yeah, seems yeah. like that seems like the kind of thing that could yeah. easily happen. And thus the movie is set in motion. And we're off on this cabin fever night that Yeah slowly and methodically just gets more and more claustrophobic and we start finding out very slowly yeah very slowly it's again it's not a short movie but it's for a reason yeah and we just start finding out more things about the hotel and about torrent's family and things just get crazier and crazier until eventually the fire axe is brought up and you know what happens from there you've seen it you've seen it so the first thing that really strikes me is we see that Jack is a writer and has decided I'm going to use this solitude to get a lot of time working on my, my novel or my whatever. Writing one of the project. first things, my writing project, one yeah. of the first things we see him doing is throwing a tennis ball against the yep. wall and catching it. So that's his idea of working hard. Yep. Um, and uh, one of the early scenes is we see Shelley Duvall go up to Jack at his, at his typewriter in this big like lounge or whatever. And, you can tell he's sort of irritated and then eventually he snaps at her. And it really struck me this time around that, and, and I'm sure I'm, I'm positive actually as a result of the events of the past several months in the real world, where a lot of us have been staying at home, sort of sequestered with our families or our friends or what have you. And I found myself almost sort of being like, yeah, I know that feeling of just, Every little thing someone does is just really irritating. And then I realized I'm a monster. I am. Yeah. Yeah. No, you realize it's you and not them. It's you just like picking apart little things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, 
is cabin fever. Like that's exactly what that is. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure we've all experienced that at least recently. At least recently, yeah. yeah. And uh, it is at this point where we, sh- we should probably bring up uh, Shelley Duvall a little bit because yeah. it is well documented that Shelley Duvall was treated uh, horrendously oh, on the set awful. at the request of Stanley Kubrick himself, yeah. who told everyone there, it was a small crew, and told everyone there, don't be nice to Shelley. Everyone be the worst to her, and so it will get a better performance. And I got to say... I'm not, I'm not about that as much as it made. It's like, uh, I, I hate that. I think yeah. method acting stuff like that is, you know, that's not exactly method acting, but I think it's that method kind of acting, stuff is, is ridiculous. I, I can't stand it either. It's method acting, but it's being forced upon her by others. It's exactly. not her decision. Yeah, it's not exactly. like Leonardo DiCaprio choosing to grab a fish out of a river and bite yeah. it. This is, which listen, I, we all we all have our feelings on method acting. Personally, I don't think it's particularly necessary. That's what. That's no. why we have acting. That's why we have exactly, exactly. If you can do the same thing without having to like, you know, spend months getting into that character, like if you can do it, you know, within a day or two, I think you're a better actor. Mm-hmm. And and listen, it's yeah. if if an actor chooses to do methods like that, then that is their decision. I can't yeah. tell them not to. Um, again, I think I really don't think it's necessary most of the time, but it has made for some fun results. This is just downright abuse. And not only that, yeah. it is abuse stemming from sort of a lack of fate. It's as if Kubrick didn't think that Shelley Duvall could pull it off without going to these heinous lengths. Yeah. Like he, you know, didn't realize that she was a fantastic actor, actress before, Mm -hmm. um, which is ridiculous because she's amazing. Um, yeah. Everything I've seen, honestly, but, and then just, you just hear the stories that she's told since about how her hair was falling out. And it was just some of the most stressful working conditions ever especially and it makes it all the more callous when jack nicholson tells stories and says like yeah stanley and i got along fine and it's like okay so this is stanley clearly singling out shelly duvall exactly i'm like stan my man yeah yeah stop it for yeah, god's sake there not, are certain directors like that yeah 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 but listen th- this is a this is a serious conversation though you because because you have to think the type of horror that you see in Shelley Duvall's face throughout this movie. You can tell it's coming from a very real place and it makes it that much scarier. So yeah, as, as, as horrifying it as it is, I'm, I'm going to sound like a monster right now, but the results, the proof is in the pudding, but also I seriously don't think it was worth it. And no, so, it, it, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It wasn't worth it. It shouldn't have been done. But every moment she is on screen, I can tell exactly what the movie wants me to think, what, you know, like what the conditions are like in the actual story of it. Like it, it is terrifying when she's scared of Jack, like during that scene where he snaps or when she realized that realizes that he's snapping, like it's, it is some of the most genuine reactions I've ever seen to anything. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. But yeah. like you said, it's ugh, not, not worth it. It, it does help that they, um, they fil- as my understanding goes, they more or less filmed the movie in order of when the scenes happened. So yeah. they were able to really capture that deterioration. Um, so listen, it is effective. I'm going to come out and say right now, this is one of the, the greatest movies of all time. And I know you agree. So yeah. it's just this, it's just this morbid thought of would it have turned out as good or worse or better or whatever. 
who's to say we may never know. And I know yeah. it's, it's sort of a melancholy thing. So uh, I think we've sort of touched on various aspects of the movie. Let's, let's jump around a little bit. Um, well, what, what we start to see is that, and, and I, I feel like I understood it more this time around than I ever did. Yeah. We start to see the hotel sort of worm its way into Jack Nicholson's mind to the point of sort of transporting him back in time to the early days, uh, yeah. to the actual 1920s. 1921, yeah. And it, it's visualized very interestingly because we see him go up to this bar and we see him clearly insane, thirsting for alcohol. Yeah. And he he even knows he's insane in this in this scene. You can oh, tell yeah. on his face that he knows that he's not really talking to anyone, but he doesn't care. And he goes, "Hi, Lloyd. Slow night." And then it turned, and then the camera shifts, and there's Joe Turkle from yep. Blade Runner, Elvin yep. Tyrell, yeah. uh, who had actually worked with Stanley Kubrick before in Paths of Glory. So, okay, little returning uh, cast member there. Yeah. And this is when we first start to see that it's as if. The hotel, again, which is this haunted d- demonic presence that is cursed permanently and it, and the curse will likely never be lifted. Yeah. And it's preying on Jack's vulnerability from all of this frustration and all of the, again, like the withdrawal symptoms and everything. And we see that he's the only one that really breaks. So actually, he's really the weakest of them all. And I really like seeing that slow... The way that the hotel slowly overcomes him, like there's a small detail yeah. where when he first sees Lloyd, the bartender, looks in his wallet, says, looks like I'm a little short, Lloyd. And then the second time he sees him, he has money. Yeah. Now, there are a few ways to read that. It is either A, <laughs> that he actually, that he was lying and just didn't want to, you know, pay him the first time or whatever. I don't think it's that. I think it's a little bit of a cop out. What I think is that it's sort of manifesting itself physically it's almost like uh, i'm gonna give it away early so it's almost like the movie solaris which is about the space station where the planet that it's orbiting can sort of reach into the minds of anyone near it and manifest their memories physically and that's what happens when this psychologist goes there and he starts seeing his dead wife back to life again and really starts to lose his mind over it. And I feel like it's kind of the exact same thing. It's the hotel Solaris. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that. Cause yeah, it, it does exactly what it, what the uh, planet does in Solaris is mm-hmm. it just kind of like feeds into, ugh, I haven't seen Solaris in a long time, but you know, insecurities about, um, you know, drinking, being in charge, uh, yeah. There's like a, a hint of, you know, misogyny in, in mm-hmm. The Shining. That a hint? Or, uh, yeah, like... It's a healthy it's, it's serving. A, it's a healthy dose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we use healthy facetiously. An unhealthy... Yeah, yeah, unhealthy dose. A hefty dose. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I- exactly, yeah. So it's... it's. I was actually going to bring up Solaris, kind of. Um, oh, weird. That was... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was that your, you know, let's jump in. Yeah, we do, exactly. do recommendations every week. It, it, was it that was. your recommendation? It, it was one of them. I was going to decide which one it was going to be, but it was maybe going to be that one. Okay. That was yeah. actually mine. That is oh, my, that is my okay. recommendation to cool. go along with the shiny. Cool. Um, I'll, we'll, come up, I'll, I'll come up with a different one. <laughs> we'll hear yours a little bit later. So, okay. yeah. Uh, w- another scene that really grabbed me this time around was when you can tell very early on that wendy and danny are afraid of jack and as they should be i want to say i i 
Jack Nicholson is a great actor, but he's very good at having that scary presence, you know, yeah, of just a guy that you do not want to mess with. And to the point where they're afraid to go into the room where he's sleeping because yeah. they're afraid they're going to disturb him. And he, like, if, if that's not an abusive relationship in a nutshell, I don't know what is. Yeah. And, that's and we the, see, Oh, sorry. Go on. We see Danny go in like wanting to real really quietly get like some toys or something and there's jack awake and says come here son and yeah. it's really it's scary to watch it's, it's you can probably tell, the scariest scene of the whole movie which is weird because nothing actually happens they yeah. just sort of have a little conversation but it's just the terror of of uh of danny there that danny lloyd is so great at expressing all throughout the entire movie yeah danny lloyd's just looking at the other side of the room the entire scene just yeah. like out of uh, it apparently just wanting I, to be out of it. i read that the reason he got cast was that he was really good at being able to sort of focus on things for a long period of time and okay. so could really get into that character and sort he of is, he is good at that yeah he's really quite good they almost yeah. got uh carrie guffey the little boy from close encounters of the third kind oh, okay. the parents objected heavily to that and i think <laughs> i do not blame them yeah so i think i think it worked out fine sure then, yeah but yeah just that one scene it sort of it sort of plants the seeds and lets you every lets you know everything you need to know about what it's like to live with this guy yeah. um, especially for such a prolonged period of time and then just the the horrors keep mounting like they have to switch the radio off because the storms are interfering too much. And then at one point, Jack goes up and just takes the fuses out of it, which is oh, yeah. just pure evil. Um, the way he just kind of juggles them in his hand. It's yeah. Just scary. Here's a question I have for you, Jason. Go for it. So let's say exact same setup where this family is assigned to care for a hotel and Danny is psychic and Jack is a recovering alcoholic. If it was any other hotel, if it wasn't specifically this haunted, cursed place with just this horrendous history to it, do you think it would have worked out all right? Do you think there just would have been a few roadblocks along the way and then they would have gotten over it and been a happy family? Or do you think, well, so I don't think something was bound to happen? I don't think, of course, I don't think it would have been this bad. But uh, from early on, you know, uh, before... Jack's even really been living at the hotel. You can just see little fragments of a weird kind of like a uh, unmentioned history in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's honestly one of my favorite parts about the movie is that there's like weird subtext that you can basically project onto most scenes. Um, yeah. And you get the sense that there's something we don't know. Yeah. Like there's some, there's like maybe Wendy was lying or something. Yeah. And to, there, there's countless, you know, interpretations of sexual abuse, uh, onto Danny or, um, you know, or, or just, you know, regular, regular physical abuse. Um, and, and that's one of the, one of, one of the many reasons that I think that it, it wouldn't, really work at any other hotel but it wouldn't have been this bad you know what i mean yeah i think there's a reason that this hotel was haunted because otherwise it would have been it would have been a little too much and so you bring up sort of a lot of the uh, interpretations and reading into the movies this this movie is the source of a lot of conspiracy theories yes specifically having to do with among other things that this movie is confirming in air quotes that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landings in <laughs> well, 1969 from the sweater. And uh, yeah, there, and people, the, ha- the people eagle, have other reasons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this was, yeah. Th- there were, there was a documentary called room two, three, seven, which I understand sort of addresses this a little bit. Have you seen that Jason? Yes. 
I have. Um, I feel like I had to, you know, when it first came out. Because yeah. it seemed like the perfect thing to watch for a Shining fan. Um, because I, I honestly think it's such a masterful movie that it's like almost neatly wrapped up, you know, on surface level. But then there's all these little things here and there that hint at some outworld, like, you know, outworldly message or, or, or something. There's infinite interpretations of this movie, in, in my opinion. And so yeah. I think a documentary inviting people on to tell you about those interpretations is an amazing idea, but just the way it was handled uh, wasn't as great. You know, uh, mm. I don't know, 30% of the interpretations were interesting. And then the, the rest of them were like, I don't know. It sounded like people got like, you know, way too high and, and was <laughs> like, Oh, this, this looks like this. And it doesn't. Um, but I, they, I, they didn't, they didn't have an angle going. In they didn't, but it, it, it just kind of reminds you of the beauty of the movie that they're, are so many little maybe trigger moments aren't isn't the best way to say it but like trigger moments as in like like oh maybe this means this but then something later on in the movie you know contradicts that and it's just this whole like puzzle of a movie that's not too intricate that it becomes like muddled but i I think it's just the perfect combination of uh mystery and you know telling you exactly what's happening interesting so so you mentioned uh, some of the various sort of mysteries of the movie. I want to talk yes. about possibly the biggest one, which is the very ending. Yes. So we see uh, Jack got lost in the maze after this big chase was chasing Danny and Wendy with an ax and gets frozen there. And eventually they escape. And then we see the camera inside the hotel, very, very slowly zooms in on a picture on the wall that evidently was taken in 1921. And there's Jack Nicholson at the yep. grand opening yep. of the hotel front row. What is, what is, what do you think that's all about? Jason? <laughs> As someone who's seen the movie I, many times, you're going to be disappointed. I don't know. Um, oh, really? I have different opinions every time I watch it. Sometimes, hmm. sometimes I'll even just think like, Oh, it doesn't matter. Like that was probably something that was just added on, you know. In you the think end. they would do that? You think I don't do that without? I don't think it is. Sometimes I've watched it though and thought that, like, oh yeah, you know, I've watched a lot of horror movies where it's you know neatly wrapped, and then in the last you know second they they do something to like I don't know trick the audience into talking about it later, but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't you know warranted at all. So sometimes to try I've, and finish strong. Yeah. So sometimes I've thought like, oh, they didn't need to do that. And like, that doesn't really make sense. And other times I've been like, oh, it's like, you know, evil manifesting like in places for, uh, I don't know, like evil staying in places for the history of that place. I I, I don't know. It's, It's such a great ending because I've never had a conversation with anyone about it where we had the exact same interpretation of it. Yeah. Interesting. What about you? The way I've seen it these past <laughs> two couple of, it, we, we went immediately with that one. Yeah. The way I've seen it the, these past couple of times that I've watched it is that is sort of the conclusion of what I was mentioning earlier, how the hotel is slowly sort of what's, what's, what's a good visual metaphor here. Like the water of the hotel is slowly submerging Jack Nicholson completely. And that yeah. is the final sort of the final straw where it has not only led him to like his death, presumably from freezing in the snow, it's not only driven him completely insane, but it's literally sort of swallowed him up into its actual history. Like it yeah. is that supernaturally powerful that it can actually do that. And and 
I don't think he was in that picture until the end. I think that happened just ethereally somehow. The pic- the photograph was edited after Jack died. I think that's what happened. Probably, but yeah. Of course, of course, that could be. It could be many things. That is. That's the way I look at it. Is that it is. It is digested its prey essentially and that was yeah. sort of the f- that's sort of the final right and i was actually i was looking really closely at that photograph at the end i was looking for grady the guy that Same. jack meets in the yeah. bathroom yeah. i didn't spot him he might be there i, I have no don't idea. believe he's there um i purposely try to stay away from any like you know online discourses about like the meaning of the ending because mm-hmm. i like honestly just I, I know that there's no definitive explanation for it. So I don't want to read through other people's interpretations really. Um, I, I just want it to, I don't I, I like it to be almost different every single time so yeah. that it is a new movie every single time. And, you know, like, and it, and it is, you know, like, uh, I don't know if people knew about this before, but just this past year, you know, I saw someone on Twitter uh, mention that there is a quick moment where Jack Nicholson breaks the fourth wall and looks like right down the barrel of the camera. Really? Yeah. Um, the moment where uh, he's in the the like hotel room with Wendy, he yells at her. I is think, this when he has like the axe? No, I think it's after the whole two three set uh, two three seven room sequence uh-huh. um, when he goes oh, back yeah, in yeah. there to talk to her and then. I, 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 I might be wrong, but I, I, I believe she says like, Oh, we need to go. And then he's like, Oh, you would love that. Wouldn't you? Um, that might be in a different room though. I can't remember, but he kind of storms out of the room and the, the camera kind of, uh, pans with him to the door. And during that pan, if you pause it, you can see him looking like right at the camera, which seems huh. incredibly in- in- intentional. Like you, you, if, if you watch it, when you hear about it now, it's like, oh, it's just like one of those things. Like no one noticed, probably he just looked in the camera, whatever. Um, mm. But you watch with the, it with you the see number it. of takes that Kubrick did. It's weird. exactly it's hard to believe. Yeah. yeah, that like meticulous attention to detail. It mm. seems, you know, purposeful. Uh, just watching it last night, I noticed that uh, when Dick Halloran walks in the room, or when Danny and Dick Halloran like first meet in that group of all them. Yep. Um, before they're off you know, with each other, uh, Danny is glued to him from the yes. minute he shakes his hand. I notice the exact yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. That, I never noticed that before mm-hmm. watching it this time. They really glued. developed this conversation. Yeah, yeah. We haven't talked a whole lot about Dick Halloran. I love, I love the way Scatman Crothers plays this role, the way oh, that it. he clearly knows like, this is not going to turn out right. And when yeah. it's, after that initial setup, when they're left at the hotel, the first time we see him again at like that awesome vacation house in yeah. Miami, he's chilling, sockless. He's he's yeah. sort of, but if you look at his face, he's like deeply troubled. You can oh, tell yeah. he's like, oh gosh, what anything could have happened. And yeah. so, I love how devoted he is. Eventually, when he realizes that the power's gone out, he's like, okay, I'm flying to Denver <laughs> right this second. Yeah. Like he leaves immediately and then calls uh, the guy at the rental office, who's played by Tony Burton, who was uh, Apollo Creed's sort of ringside oh, wow. manager in the Rocky okay. movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. Ah, yes, that's yeah, it. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's fun. Okay. Yeah. I and yeah, had no idea about that. And gets there and is just unceremoniously axed, literally. Oh my God. Uh, it's such really, a, such a, it's a scary, scary, is it, is it, scary jump scare. 
Is yeah, is it the only is it the movie's only jump scare? I'm sure there's another. I mean, there it does jump scares with titles. Um, you know, yeah, it did that uh true. when they're walking in the maze in the beginning and there's just this rising music and you're like, What's going on? And then it just you know, shows Tuesday really quick when the the song comes to like a little crash. And that, that's kind of scary. I As if suppose. that means anything. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. Tuesday in relation to what? Yeah. So I I mean I believe that the Dick Halloran scene is the only, you know, conventional jump scare. Um, yeah. but like good, good conventional jump scare. Yeah, most most of this movie is that really creeping, just sort of worm your way into the mind kind of scare. Yeah, really a like. lot of it I think comes from the music. Uh, you know, we talked about the weird, you know, vibrating violin music. The uh it's like it's this weird like layer of vocal. Uh, music um, mm. that kind of is is in the opening um, after the boom, 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 boom. you know it kind of does the uh, not angelic like vocals but it's like yeah. it, it's it's terrifying it's almost hard to listen to it is no it hurts I remember seeing it in theaters <laughs> and uh, genuinely like it it hurt me to hear it um, a, a lot of people actually covered their ears like. Uh, it, it it hurt. It could just be a mixing problem, but I like to think it wasn't. I don't think so either. Yeah, yeah. I would. I would love to see this in the yeah. theater. My favorite little vocal cue is the sort of like tinkling piano that's like ding 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 yeah. ding 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 ding. Like something's up. Something's yeah. about to happen. This yeah. is. It really. The, I I don't know about you, but I really do connect to this. Just sort of even just the basis fear that this movie is tapping into that sense of isolation in a huge place where no one is there there they might they may as well be in outer space like that's how isolated they are and how unable to to find anyone and i remember that scene where jack is breaking down the door and you see shelly duvall just terrified like unlike ever before and i just thought to myself like if she screams for help it's useless like i really connected to her at that moment just that fear of it's up to me. I got to do something here. There's no one else around. This is it. This is yeah. this is what it's all led up to. And so I really connected to that. I've been in cabins before in the mountains that are just huge and cavernous. And, and you're just, just by sheer coincidence, there's no one there. And you yeah. can hear every little gust of wind. You're and trapped. it's really, it's really just effective. Like oh, it's not that kind of thing. Yeah. That's another thing I love about this movie. Uh, you're talking about sounds and stuff like just the, the atmosphere of yeah. of the hotel itself like you said it was a uh, you know set in in uh, England somewhere yep. um and they did, they did a fantastic job y- you know I, I, you were you were at the actual hotel uh yesterday mm-hmm. so you know that the you know carpets floors creak everything everything just like kind of creaks a little bit but it's not one of in the like loudest floors yeah, i've ever walked not on in like a like a cheesy like a you know uh scooby doo house but yeah. like in a genuinely effective, <laughs> like, you know, you can hear the sound reverberate off the walls and it, it, it just creates this like atmosphere, like no other movie I've ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's incredible. There's, there's so much about this movie that we could get into. I have a few other things to mention. Jason is what, what else, uh, what else did you have? If anything, no, go for it. No, you, you, you go for it. 
so I just wanted to, so one thing I really, uh, I've loved every single time is the final reveal. That's sort of the moment, sort of the nail in the coffin. When Wendy finally realizes like, there is no going back. We are with a killer and we've got to get out is when she finds the book in air quotes that he's been writing. And it's just over and over again for hundreds and hundreds of pages, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And on one hand, I love it because it it sort of seals the deal on this image of Jack we've been getting so far that he's quick to anger and does not just does not have a lot of patience whatsoever. And also that he's supposedly holding himself in this place of being like a great artist or a great writer or something when in reality he's actually just going insane and succumbing to his demons and indeed to the demons of the past. It's almost like I almost get this sense that it's sort of this microcosm of America itself, just that haunted past and the way that a lot of people, especially men, especially white men, just sort of find themselves repeating the ills of history, whether they mean it to or a lot or not. And a lot oh, of times they're very complicit. Yeah. And that's hinted throughout the movie too. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's the, I think Gaumont, what it, I think it's baking powder or something being shown a lot, uh, which features a native American on the front of it or yep. uh, the white man's burden, white man's burden yes. scene, um, which I was like, exactly. that's, you know, watching it yesterday. I was like, that's, a weird thing to say, especially because it didn't make sense to what the guy said before. So I kind of looked that up and it was, um, I should have read more into it, but it's, it's definitely a saying from before. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a saying very rooted in evil. We won't go into too much detail, but it was, it's basically the idea that, Oh, it's so hard to be, you know, the greatest, the superior race, so to speak, and to have to, to have to, what to contend with all these underlings and it is deeply evil and deeply just effed up in every way. So the fact that they just downright just name check that very specific adage from God knows how long ago uh, is very deliberate. And I, and I love just the way that when Wendy has the baseball bat and Jack is going up the stairs, the things he's complaining about oh my are God. really no, stupid he, and that petty. He's uh, signed a contract, and do you have any idea what would happen if I went back on my responsibilities? Do you have any idea how hard it is for me to do nothing all day? Yeah. It's really, it's, yeah, it, yeah, it really just lays it all out right there. The other, mo- the other uh, reason that I really love that scene is because I'm watching it and I realize someone had to type out hundreds of pages of that. Yeah, I believe and you can it tell was, it was, was it was going. Kubrick's secretary yeah, exactly. actually. Yeah, and you can tell that she was getting kind of bored because like the formatting is different and everything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That was probably like that was probably a good portion of her job. Like a whole oh, yeah. day had to be devoted to all right, type out as many of these as you possibly yeah. can. Hopefully we won't ruin too many for like the number <laughs> of takes we're doing. And so it's, it's this really, this moment of humanity is peeking through. Um, we've talked about a lot. There is so much that we haven't touched on yet, but there's only so much time in yeah. the day. Jason, did you have anything else uh, that you wanted to mention about the shining? Let's <sighs> I think, I guess I've touched on the, 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 the main things I wanted to mention, which is basically the, some of the new things that I noticed in this past um, viewing of it, because I think that is the magic of this movie is that you can just, it's, it's like you can watch it infinite times and, and find something new every time. And I hate it. I hate it when people say that, but it's so true here. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, we would be remiss if we did not mention uh, the sequel, Dr. Sleep, which we see in The Shining. There's this plot that is not focused on a lot, but it's definitely there where you get the sense that Danny is meant to sort of embody the experience of being a child with a mental illness, not have not having anyone to connect to. That's why he relates so heavily to uh, to Dick Halloran and not knowing what like what is this thing that makes me different from everyone? And so that was really what a lot of Dr. Sleep was tapping into. Did you see that uh, last year? I have not. I I watched a little bit of it over the summer, about 20 minutes of it. And I was mixed on Hmm. what I had seen. Some of it I really didn't like. And some of it I thought was pretty effective horror wise. Um, Hmm. But I, I, I almost watched it today. So, Oh, weird. You know, yeah. So I'm I'm not totally turned off of it, but I, I would like to see it again. Yeah, I, I, like I really want to see it again, too. The first time I saw it, I was not very high on it. I think I was just it was I was just not in the mood to watch it that day. It was yeah. longer than I thought it was. Yeah. It was a stressful time. The holidays was the holidays, just not my favorite time of year. So that was part of it. Um, and I've read a lot of readings and interpretations of it since that have made me curious to go back actually and watch it. Maybe distance myself a little bit from The Shining. Try not to view them as sort of like a two-hander. Yeah, and look at it as its own thing. That's the most difficult thing I'm probably going to have trouble with because I think that's what happened the first time or when I started viewing it. As I was like, oh, that's off. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot I, different in many ways. Yeah. And I usually complain when people do that. So I, I feel like I need to be, be very open to it. Yeah. That, that's something I'm really trying to work on is yeah. especially like sequels to stuff exactly, exactly. Uh, is letting it be its own thing. Yeah. So I, I hope to be able to appreciate it more than I did the first time. Uh, Jason, did you have a recommendation to go along with the shining since I um, stole one of them? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, so I, my, my favorite thing about The Shining is the atmosphere and just kind of creating this creaky hotel mm. uh, music to match and just creating this, this whole just like solid aesthetic that, you know, carries the movie itself. Uh, there's other things that add to it, but I think the aesthetic of it is masterful. And I, I, I would say that um, House of the Devil, that movie, um, mm has also has just like some of the best atmosphere I've ever seen in a horror movie. You know, I'm not a fan of the ending of that movie, but I think the, uh, what first 80 minutes of it are, are incredible. I've heard the name. I don't actually know what that is. What is, what is, um, House it's of the a Devil? Ty West, uh, directed, uh, horror movie from 2009. Um, mm-hmm. it's basically, uh, this, this, uh, college student gets a job babysitting. It takes place in the eighties too. Um, and they, they do the eighties, um, aesthetics and vibes like perfectly <laughs> in this movie. You know, some things like, I don't know, stranger things will kind of like beat it to death, beat the eighties vibe to, to, to death. But like this movie just, um, it's filmed with, I don't know what camera, but a, it, it, it could be a seventies movie. You could show it in the seventies and, or eighties and people would be like, Oh yeah, this, this was filmed this year. Um, nice. and it's, it, it's fantastic. Cool. I'll have to add that. All, almost fantastic. Sorry. And ending ah, yeah. on a line. Go on. <laughs> it was called house of the devil. You said, yeah, the house of the devil. Yeah. Cool. All right, Jason, what do you say we move on to 
uh, a, a pair of movies that we got to sort of uh, rediscover yeah. over this past couple yeah. of days. Yeah. So usually what we do on Extra Milestone is we do anniversaries in multiples of five, and we're choosing to bend that rule slightly this time because we're going to talk about the two Gremlins movies directed by Joe Dante. And the first one was released in 1984, so it is 36 years old. So it doesn't quite fit our rules, but I'm going to allow for it because Gremlins 2, the new batch, was released in June 1990. That does qualify. Uh, 30 years, that one is. And it would be kind of pointless to talk about, or not completely, but it would be weird to talk about Gremlins 2 without talking about Gremlins 1. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Gremlins 2 is the, the you know main thing I think we really want to talk about. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, people, people know Gremlins 1. Uh-huh. And you know, people we know should it. We know love it. Gremlins 2. Yeah, people should know Gremlins 2. Um, but okay. Gremlins 1, all-time classic. So, so At Jason, least for me. what is... So have you seen had you seen both of these before? Yeah, uh Gremlins 1, I'm guessing was one of like the first horror movies I think I saw. I remember, you know, this is before Jason's uh YouTube horror movie days. Um <laughs> you know, this is like, you know, me getting this at Blockbuster or something and uh, I want a whole this. limited series about oh, just yeah. a podcast about each of those YouTube movies I could, that I you watch. Make Two episodes, probably. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, one of them would be The Shining. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember seeing Gremlins a long time ago. I think my parents kind of knew what it was, and they were like, "Oh, you should watch this. It's like kind of spooky." And I was like, "Oh, whatever." You know, oh, they weird. Invited- did they know what they were showing to young Jason? I don't think they did. Well, like <laughs> you know, maybe for them it was kind of spooky, but for yeah. like a kid, that is the scariest movie in the world. Yeah. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents. Who are about to give him? You're gonna like this. No, no, no! Don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. Won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important. No matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever, mischievous, what's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. So let's talk about this a little bit. So Gremlins is directed by Joe Dante. It is a horror uh, sort of slapstick, dark comedy monster movie set at Christmas time. And it was released in June of 1984, several weeks after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And what happened was there was no PG-13 rating 
before those yeah. two movies. And they single-handedly are responsible for the existence of that rating because they were two movies that seemed, on the surface at least, would be safe for children. You got Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is a little intense, but a lot of it is very exciting, very 1930s serial adventure. The sequels got like freaking hearts being ripped out of chests and guys eaten by alligators and- A much more much gorier effects there's a room full of like bugs and they're almost killed by spikes it is actually it, it has the potential to be a very traumatizing movie and so it, that one was traumatizing to me also but yeah those the, the heart especially yeah, yeah is those what two really films. gets it and then you have gremlins which i have you seen the trailer for gremlins i have not no i haven't. okay i was very curious i went i because i was like I wonder if the trailer paints it as like this holiday family movie. And it kind of does. Oh, I can see it. It is. It's yeah. you get a couple of solitary shots of the Mogwai and then the gremlins that they morph into afterwards, but it's never full on and it's not, and you do not see the haywire levels of violence that occur in the last second half of this movie i would say and so i can only imagine how many parents were like you know they're they're the kids who are traumatized from seeing indiana jones of the temple of doom it's like oh hey we'll take you to see gremlin <laughs> it'll be a nice way to heal from the yeah, wounds because like, gr- this movie has gr- inflicted upon you and then they go and for a while it's fine it's yeah. really tame you know, gremlin is a cute of, name that's a cute name for a movie nowhere out of nowhere a, a, a head explodes yeah. on camera in a microwave yeah. and like a gun is pulled on Phoebe Cates and there there's like, you know, Zach Galligan's mom fending off gremlins with a knife that she has for some reason while making ginger. Yeah, and she, it gets yeah. really, really intense, really fast. And the gremlins are just these horrifying, scaly reptilian beasts of nature of the kind that yeah, they're is, like scary minions is they how really I, are, I, yeah. I found them to be this time in a good way though so I don't and like so minions. i can i would pay i would pay exorbitant amounts of money to be able to hear or perhaps read the complaints made by frustrated parents well i i know that uh you know there's a moment in in gremlins 2 where uh there's a movie theater sequence where this uh, this girl is brought out of the movie um, by an ups- upset mom, and that yeah. was based on real reactions from Gremlins One um, yeah. of you know people kids being ripped out of the theater, even though the kids wanted to stay and loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, families just couldn't stand it. Uh, We're going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that scene a little bit later. Oh, yeah. But let's let's sort of let's focus a little bit on Gremlins One first of all. So uh, the plot of Gremlins One is that we have. This guy who is a self-proclaimed inventor who is not really taken off, but has all these weird gadgets that are clearly meant to be viewed as sort of like a TV movie level of cute. Like this is something you'd see in a Hallmark movie where it's like, oh, check it out. It's this little box that has everything you could possibly need when going on a vacation. It's got like a fold out toothbrush and a razor and a shaving cream spritzer and it is a ridiculous invention there's a reason that it has never been invented yeah there's in the the movie just begins with him 
walking down like steamy streets in a fedora, like with narration. So it's like, is this a noir movie? Like it's, it's very, it's a very odd mo- way to start the movie. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. yeah. And, and winds up in this like basement sort of knickknack shop. Yeah. Run by a, a guy named Mr. Wing, I believe is his name. Yeah. Uh, who lives with his grandson and says, we've got this, we've got this thing. I'm looking, I'm looking for a present for my son. That's what he says. And then yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, what's in this cage that's rattling around? And then Mr. Wing's like, do not touch that. That is off limits. Absolutely not. And the grandson in his finite wisdom, I would say, says, here, take it and sneak out the back. Yeah, I'll sell it to you. I'll sell it to you later. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. I almost wonder if this if this grandson has like some sort of a morbid sense of humor and is like, let's just see what happens. Why I, 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 when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh, he just wants money. That's that's all I thought it was. Just the way he looks, he's just like, yeah, we just need money. So, yeah, maybe he does not fully comprehend. Yeah, the consequences yeah, of yeah, selling this yeah. of selling this cage. And so, uh, the the inventor guy gets home, and we find out that his son, played by Zach Galligan, who works at a bank, which really weirded me out because yeah. it's been a while since I've seen this movie. I forgot that was a plot point. And we see all these 80s movies like uh, like Ferris Bueller, for instance, where you've got Matthew Broderick, who was like, what, 26, 27 at the time, playing sure, a high school yeah. student. We see Zach Galligan in this opening scene, like trying to fix his car. I thought he was going to like go to a school. And Same. Be a, and Even, be a school teacher. And I've seen this movie so many times, and I still think that every time. It feels like, like so, a John Hughes movie where it's like, oh, I'm going to go to school. Like, oh, what, a gremlin? At and then goes to like an actual adult job. Yeah, puts on a bank. tie. Yeah, he's a teller. It's such yeah. a strange thing. I don't know if anyone else has this experience, but it's just it was just so weird to me to see that, and I can never fully buy into it. And we see that he works at the bank, and I I love uh, th- this movie uh, directly references "It's a Wonderful Life," and that is clearly what it's yeah. playing off of. Yep. Where jimmy stewart in that movie also works at a bank and then we see the equivalent of mr potter what's her name mrs deagle is that mrs what it is? deagle yeah yeah walks down the street has her own theme song that is yep. just a downright evil yeah. theme song and it actually i burst it out very very similar to wizard of oz too yeah it really is yeah, yeah. it's kind of like the wicked witch and yeah, so it's really planting this idea in your head early on of like sort of an old school Americana, a little a little melodramatic, a little bit chintzy, but also very sincere kind of drama. Yeah. And then and it it commits to this for a while and I think that's part of the magic of the movie because we see uh he gets home one night and gets the present. He gets the, the present. Line. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's wrapped up. You know, he hears mm-hmm. a sound inside of it. Decides to shake it immediately for some reason. Yep. Um, and then <laughs> <laughs> he shakes it, and then he's like, "It's, it's a puppy, isn't it?" I'm like, yeah. dude, you just shook that. Like, you just shook a puppy. <laughs> but no, it's Howie Mandel. It's Howie Mandel. <laughs> With this, doing the voice of this little puppet, this little animatronic puppet, I want to say this right off the bat. The effects in both of these movies are phenomenal. Really good. Really good in the second one. Oh, my God. Like, there's no seams whatsoever. It's all puppetry. It's all practical. It's all animatronics, even. They use uh, some miniatures at times. Yeah, I read something about Zach Galligan, like, just being blown away first time seeing it. And, like, yeah. Like, uh, you know, all the dog reactions to it are genuine. 
you know, because it, it it looks so real and it still does. They're even. so convincing, and they give and and it really helps to be able to buy these as actual creatures. There's a scene in Gremlins two where Zach Galligan accidentally closes a drawer on Gizmo's hand, and I screamed out in terror. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, no! I did the same thing this morning. Yeah. Oh man, it's like they're uh, fantastic yeah, effects. Yeah, fantastic, and not just the puppets either. All the all the other stuff that happens later in the movie. Yeah, and they they can do like facial, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking? Emotions. I I can't think yeah. of the right word I'm looking for, but uh, the, they can really allow the Mogwai and the Gremlins alike to emote. Yeah, be angry, mad whatever angry mad <laughs> that's two, two of the same thing angry sad whatever yeah angry enraged frustrated Upset. all the emotions <laughs> not liking anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes um but yeah so he gets the gremlin and finds out like and and i love that they do not acknowledge whatsoever that this is unlike any other species they're just totally willing to buy into it like oh it's like a cute little thing that there's only one of and has yeah. this bizarre series of rules which yeah, are they as don't, follows yeah yeah go on do not allow them to be exposed to bright lights that is their weakness that is their kryptonite so to speak yep do not allow them to come in contact with water which raises a variety of questions none of which have been answered yeah. that we'll get into in a second and finally most important of all do not feed them after midnight. Yeah. When which, is it okay to feed them again? When which is, is what is which the is problematic? Statute? When's the cutoff? Yeah. And I think the the way that I've read it, the way that I understand it at least, is that Joe Dante sort of knew about that and just doesn't care. He's actually yeah. sort of notoriously refused to give an answer about that. Like, yeah, always which dodge the question. I like, I like, I like it when people do that. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's stupid, but I, I don't care. They really commit to it. Both these movies, the second one especially, really understands yeah. exactly what they are. And if you're there for it, you're there. And if you're not, that's fine. I get We're, it. Yeah. We'll yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. I'll allow it. Yeah. And so I really like that. The thing with the water, though, that one is weirder to me because it actually sort of contradicts itself in the second one because, okay, so don't splash them with water. That's obvious. Yeah. yeah. How do they drink? What if they like yeah, what get, they... don't get all of it into their mouth or whatever? Furthermore, is it only water yeah, that duplicates them? If you spit and, on them, it would it would do anything. And if so, would it make a different kind of of gremlin? What does oh, wow. a Gatorade? Gremlin yeah, dude, I was about to say Gatorade. <laughs> like, what does a Mountain Dew oh, Mogwai gross. look like? Yeah, that's the name of my the uh, my pug band. Mountain Dew Mogwai. Mountain Dew Mogwai. <laughs> it's genuinely good, actually. <laughs> it re- it really is, yeah. yeah. And then, but then we find out maybe it is just water because there's a scene in Gremlins 2 where there's a vial of acid that says, warning, do not throw in face. Yeah. And it gets thrown in the face of the gremlin and nothing happens. So I, I assume it's just water then. Yeah. Strict, strict water. Mm-hmm. That must be the rule that yep. they established in that scene. Yep. But yeah, what happens is that, uh, sure enough, all of these rules are broken very quickly because. Very quickly. I don't remember. Uh, watching this before, I don't remember things going wrong that quickly in the movie. Because mm-hmm. yeah, he's, what he's, with, he's with Gizmo for a night, Yep, I think, and then things immediately start going wrong. I remember yeah. it being at least like a couple days. Yeah. So I was very surprised. What happens is that Corey Feldman dresses up, and it's a hilarious image. 
as a tree. Yep. He's not carrying a Christmas tree. He's dressed as a tree, which is just such a strange image to see 1984 Corey Feldman waddle into the house in the yeah. tree. And of course, the water is promptly spilled onto Gizmo. And then these little balls of fur pop off of his back like popcorn yep. and grow into Mogwai. The, effect, the way they did that effect was that they covered balloons in fur and were somehow able to inflate them. Mm-hmm. It's really convincing. It actually looks like they're materializing into creatures. And yeah. again, the effects are just second to none. Yeah, there, I think there's only one moment in this whole movie where the effects are like a bit iffy. One shot. I didn't. I didn't even see a single one. One shot, and that's just the claymation scene where they're all walking down. Oh the street. yeah, yeah. And that's where it. they're walking down the but street. That's you know that I totally understand that limitation, but it's noticeable. But it's also well done. Oh know? yeah, like it's oh, not sure. even. It's not bad claymation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Yeah, um, and yeah, like it's a little bit of a slow build from there, but it doesn't take long for things to go completely haywire. Yeah, and you know all what that's what happens when they eat after midnight is they turn into the reptilian creatures and just raise anarchy everywhere they go. The entire town is in flames yeah. and it, and they just got to stop it. And it's this demented holiday adventure. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it plays a lot of the, you know, beginning, uh, you know, killings, I guess is like, it's like kind of fun and like, mm-hmm. Ooh, look at these little guys. Um, yeah, which it works works for a bit uh, when they're killing yeah. like the uh, the uh, you know villains, I guess, of the movie. Yeah. You know, everybody they kill in the beginning has like a moment or two in the beginning where they're like, "Oh yeah, I want that guy to die. I don't like that guy." But then they just mm-hmm. start killing like whoever. So yeah, yeah. wanton destruction. There's exactly. a scene, a very iconic scene where. There are a bunch of gremlins in a movie theater watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarves for whatever reason. And they all have popcorn and drinks. I like to think there's one gremlin begrudgedly like working the concession stand. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Like, all right, gremlins, I want a single file line. I know we're monsters, but can we be civilized? Yeah, because all of them take like. At least at the snack bar. Yeah, they all take like a little different role. There are different. You know, there's a, a 80s um, fitness one. There's a. <laughs> yeah. We get even more of them in the there's second There's a noir oh one. Yeah. That's uh, great. Yeah. There's for sure got to be an Usher one. That'd be there, great. Of course. There's the, an Usher gremlin. An I Usher like gremlin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's dark. It's scary. There's a lot of really good effects and it's just a ton of fun to watch. I had this huge smile plastered on my face throughout the entirety of the first gremlins because you have it because of the way that it establishes that world that we're all familiar with that sort of movie world you know where everything's a little bit heightened and just a little bit different from the reality we know and then when we introduce this agent of chaos into it we find ourselves weirdly feeling for that sort of false universe you know So it's actually very smart. It might not have been as easy to connect to if they went with like a really realistic style for the opening bit of this movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And also, weirdly enough, I I have no idea how intentional this was, but I think there's, there's a definite element here. This movie is sort of about 
seasonal depression a little bit. Okay. You know? Oh, okay. Because specifically through Phoebe Cates character who plays, uh, uh, Zach Galifian, Galifian's, Zach Galligan's <laughs> girlfriend. And we see her sort of not really interested in the holidays. And we find out later that there was a tragedy in her life where, uh, her dad, died horribly like just one of the most traumatizing i i think about that every day that that was the most scarring part i think of the movie when i first saw it it's incredibly that whole whole story she tells and so naturally she just does not associate any positive memories with the holidays whatsoever and i feel like this is almost an ode to that where as i mentioned actually just a few moments ago the holidays just do not agree with me. I wouldn't call it depression, but it's just it, winter is easily my least favorite season. And it is partly because of that holiday cheer. I just have never been able to find myself to get really wrapped up in it, at least not the way I used to. Yeah. And so to see this movie where that is sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there's, it, it sort of addresses the melancholy of the holidays by way of chaotic, reptilian furballs that wreck the town there's really nothing like it and so i really connected to it on sort of that emotional level even though again it is very melodramatic yeah it's got this something about the town too is just very melancholic no matter how 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 much they try to you know hide it with the christmas coming down like that that song that's Mm -hmm. playing in the beginning uh it's just like a it's a sad town and you could like, and you just feel that with all the characters, whether it's like Murray, you know, just spouting just xenophobic stuff all day. <laughs> yeah. That's really <laughs> hard to watch. Sometimes. It is. Yeah, it is. I think they understand that it's kind of over to the top, but also, yeah, I think they definitely never really realized that anything. in the second one. Cause there's like a, a line or two where they kind of poke fun at it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and yeah, it's, uh, Oh gosh, I I had a point. What were we talking about just now? Uh, Marie like the melancholy. Oh, melanch- melancholy, melancholy of the of the town, of of just the holidays. It, it's just like a perfectly wrapped up like, uh, I don't, it's just fun, fun, um, almost John Hughes like, uh, yes. type. It, it, like if John Hughes made a, a creature feature, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, complete with like a soft boy Zach. Galligan, Galligan. <laughs> I almost said Galifianakis, and then like soft girl Phoebe Cates. Like, oh, they're they're just so 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 sweet together. Um, yeah. There's just something really really nice about it. There's something really endearing about it. That was actually exactly what I was going to bring yeah. up, which is that it really establishes this sort of small town persona. I forget the name of the actual town or where it's yeah, located. Yeah, I forget but it too. Yeah. You get this, it's just that sort of same, it's that, it's almost that same sense you get from like watching The Simpsons or uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, for instance, where everyone knows each other, everyone's got like their own identity and everything. And a lot of it is really uh, handily sort of communicated by Hoyt Axton, who plays, is it Axton or Axton? I think it's Axton. I think it's Axton. Who plays, who plays Zach Galligan's dad. And He's like a country As I mentioned singer, earlier, I think, or something. He's got all these ridiculous inventions and, and t- throughout the house. And there's that yeah. thing that like makes orange juice, which <laughs> I think exists, but no, I guess he felt the need. Yeah, it's definitely a juicer. Yeah. He felt the need to, to make this invention and it pukes up like this orange sludge. That oh, is yeah. just really disgusting. Same with the coffee maker too. 
the egg cracker. Yeah, there's a lot of inventions that clearly don't work. But what I like is that it never becomes a, 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 a oh gosh, I can't. There's there's a turn of phrase that I can't remember right now, but a source of ridicule. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It never becomes funny that this character is a bad inventor. It's just no, it's, like it's very wholesome in a way. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I really like about this movie. So it's really easy to connect to pretty much every character in it. Again, except for Murray, who is just this, just this guy, you know, like, I, think, I, don't even I, know. I think the movie wants us to like him, like wants sort us to of. think he's funny and like, like weird, but yeah. like he's ugh, every, everything he says is just super xenophobic. And <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of the few reservations. It's, it does not yeah, yeah, sink yeah. the movie at all. So, yeah. so yeah, that was gremlins and, uh, again, it had the whole PG 13 business, but beside that, it got more or less positive ratings when it first came out. And so it was enough to make a sequel six years later, 1990 gremlins Two: the new batch. Yep. Holy mother <laughs> yeah. of God. Yeah. Remember the last time we told you not to feed them after midnight. We told you to keep them away from the light. And the most important warning of all, we told you to never, ever get them wet. You didn't listen. They're mutating. Sir, is the building on fire? No, no, that's a false alarm. Are you trying to panic New York City? Absolutely not. So the monsters are real? I didn't say that. Gremlins 2. The new batch. Now, was that civilized? No, clearly not. Fun, but in no sense civilized. This is what I've really been. This never, is what I've really been waiting for during. This I had whole never seen this movie before this morning. Really, and oh, I'm man. really mad at myself Blown away. because this is one of the most fun movies yeah. I've ever seen in my life. They don't care. I mean, they do and don't care at the same time. This movie starts with a Looney Tune skit. It starts with Daffy Duck yeah. and Bugs Bunny arguing over who gets to do the Looney Tunes. And intro. then as soon as that's done, uh, Gremlins New Batch title up there right yeah. away. No, apparently, no filler in between. Apparently that bit was even longer initially. They actually really? got they actually got Chuck Jones to write and direct it. Yeah, he's credited uh, who, as uh, or he's uncredited as a director on this movie. Oh, interesting. I think just for that scene though, but just, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and yeah, it's, it was originally even longer. I think Porky Pig got involved and it went (laughs) on for like five minutes apparently. (laughs) And eventually it was cut out because it was just too long and people were going to be way too confused. I was confused as it is. and I knew I was watching the movie. Yeah. I was like, what is this gremlins too? It is. (laughs) And I knew immediately because Daffy Duck shows up and just starts giving all this crap to to Bugs Bunny and yeah. it's like okay I know where we are this yeah and so that kind of sets you up for I guess what this movie to is expect the unexpected exactly 
Because what we see, it's it's several years later. I it, there's no reason to believe it's not in real time. So they're probably uh, 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 oh, what's what's Zach Gallion's character's name? Is it Billy? Billy. Yeah. I keep. I meant. To say- I meant. I meant to bring that up when we were talking about the first one because Billy's just such a soft boy name. You know, it's I just perfect for wanting- him. I keep wanting to call him Paul, and I have no idea why. I don't know where that came I from. I think that's maybe another it, one of those names. Which is maybe like, oh, it's Paul. It's the it's the alliteration, maybe like yeah. Paul Peltzer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Regardless, it's Billy. So Billy and Kate, uh, Phoebe Cates, have moved to New York. They're going to make it big in the city, and we understand they've been there for a little while, yeah. and they both work in this skyscraper, which is <laughs> which is run by. This guy Clamp, what, played by John Glover. What's the skyscraper? What do they do there? They what do all? What all? Stuff. What all is in that building? Capitalism itself, <laughs> consumerism personified. There's offices, in- TV stations. It's yes. a mall. It's a yes. headquarters. It's a research <laughs> facility. It's Trump yeah. Tower. What's with the research facility? <laughs> That's what I don't get. Yeah. Yeah. A so, research facility. Uh, we'll actually probably get into that in a little bit. I'll, I'll say it, that. It, yeah. The implication that I got is that it's mostly a TV studio that sort of spun into different things. And it's yeah. run by this guy, Clamp, played by John Glover. And as I was watching this movie, I was like, where the hell have I seen that yeah, guy wait, Okay, help me. Help me, because where have I seen him? You have seen him probably... From Batman and Robin, he's the doctor who turns Poison Ivy into <gasps> Poison Ivy. No way! Shortly after creating Bane, yes, and has one really? of the greatest. Yes, and I'm has one of the greatest his face right now, and I can't see that. But wow, he's got one of the greatest line deliveries in that movie. In a movie full of ironically great line deliveries, which is when he says, which is when he says to Uma Thurman as uh, Pamela Isley says. <laughs> I don't take rejection well. I'm afraid you'll have to die. And then screams this hellish (laughs) screech and pushes her into a table and she falls over and turns into poison (laughs) ivy. He makes that scene. And then he was also actually very recently in Shazam, another DC movie. He was the father of Mark Strong's character who gets killed in that boardroom by all the deadly sins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to see that again. And and so he's good at being a crazy guy. Yeah. Who, oh, and he's fantastic in this. Oh my gosh! Super. It is a perfect guy to cast for like a eccentric, but also completely s- homicidal. Not homicidal. It's, complete it, lunatic. It, it, yeah. Um, a maniac. Yeah. A total ma- a total egocentric maniac yeah. to the point where even when it looks like he's about to have a genuine moment of humanity and understanding it all comes back around to keeping it in the black money. you know yeah, making money, a profit keeping, and everything yeah there, there's a there's a part after things have sort of flown off the rails a little bit when he says uh that all my employees are dying yeah, yep do you realize how many lawsuits this yeah. is gonna be <laughs> it's never once about the actual human cost of this incident. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. He, so here's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Walk us they, through. Walk us through. I will try because, <laughs> oh my gosh, this thing. So we see Robert Clamp. Is it Robert? I, it's, it seems like it should be Robert. Uh, we'll just we call see him Clamp. Clamp. Yeah. We'll call him uh, Clarence Clamp. How about that? Sure. <laughs> Clarence Clamp goes to the antique shop run by Mr. Wink from the first movie and says, hey, 
we want to build stuff here. You're the only one who hasn't agreed to it. Let, just let us do it. And so well, obviously- Clamp doesn't show up though. No, he's on a TV He's on screen. a TV, yeah. Sorry, they bring on. in a TV yeah. that, they, that they broadcast Clamp's face on. And so I, I forgot to mention that. I thought yeah, no, regardless. it's okay. Says, we want to build stuff here. Will you let us? And Mr. Wing says, no, absolutely not. This is my store. And they're like, okay. And then they demolish it very shortly after. Yeah. They're like, they're they, like, all we got to do is wait for him to wait for him to die. Right. And then six weeks later, he's dead. Yeah, I guess. And then they capture Gizmo, who's trying to escape, who has been returned to the shop at the end of the first gremlin. Yep. Uh, and is captured by a scientist who's played by an actor who actually has a twin actor that is in this movie who I know from Terminator 2. Terminator 2, 2 yeah. I had to look that up because I was like, where do I know them from? He's the guy who is like the security officer at the mental institution who is getting coffee and turns yeah. around and sees the T-1000 impersonating him and then gets stabbed through the eye. Yep. I was like, that's it right there. I recognized him immediately. And gets captured by that guy, gets brought to the research facility run by Christopher Lee. Yeah. As, do you remember the character's name? Uh, Dr. Catheter. Dr. <laughs> Catheter. The first thing we see him do is walk in and the secretary, who has a horrible cold, which watching that right now yep. is a whole other level of yeah. anxiety. Yeah. And we see her say, oh, this this delivery came for you. And Christopher Lee says, oh, must be my malaria. And then <laughs> opens it up and sees a vial and it says, rabies. <laughs> but then he doesn't I get already, his flu delivery, I believe. I already have rabies. <laughs> it's like, yes, you do, Christopher. This is only the beginning. This is, And yeah. then so we find out that... Uh, Billy and Kate are living in New York. They both work at this place and Billy has something of a desk job where, you know, it's not very, not very, uh, fulfilling, I think uh, to him at least. And we see one of the first things that happens is that clamp comes up to him and says, ah, hello there, mister. And then reaches out with this antenna scans, not the name tag, but the barcodes that have evidently replaced name tags. This, this building is Full of ridiculous inventions yeah. that seem like innovations, but are actually deeply inconvenient. Yeah. It's this crazy, like authoritarian, like technological workplace. That's like straight out of like, I don't know, like a Paul Verhoeven movie or something yeah, like really that. Uh, it's yeah. It's satirical, um, very satirical towards, you know uh, yeah. Like authoritarian workplaces and, it is it is that exact same sort of spirit of weird inventions that yeah. we saw Billy's dad doing in the first yeah. movie. Times like just turned up to eleven, actually t- turned up to twelve. Yeah. I'll say it. they go even further, and that and and they do that a lot with this movie because this movie, one of the many things it is, is actually a satire of sort of the way sequels were working yeah. at the time, the way that they just sort of flew off the rails really fast. It is no coincidence. One of the first things we see in the movie on is we see the TV that they leave that clamp was talking to Mr. Wing on Gizmo's watching it afterwards and it's playing Rambo. Rambo, Yeah. One of the most notoriously 
ill-conceived sequels of all time when it comes to just completely betraying literally everything the first movie was about i haven't seen it i i trust you on that that yeah that's i've (laughs) talked about it on numerous occasions suffice it to say it's a really poorly informed sequel yeah but no but i think that is what it's going for yeah because it it plays on on being a sequel so much the same Mm -hmm. way that I, I'm sure there's better examples, but like uh, 22 Jump Street plays on being a sequel yeah. to 21. Um, there you go. Yeah, like uh, like we were talking about earlier, the whole sequence where they're you know arguing about the rules, like oh, what if um, you know what if the gremlin is on a flight to another time zone and then eats here <laughs> and then. Yeah. Fantastic. There's a scene. whole scene where they debate what the deal is with the Magra themselves yeah. and they never answer the questions yeah. cleverly enough. Yeah. And so it's clearly just acknowledging like, we never took this seriously. Yeah. What do you want from us? And so what we get in this movie is what happens is just, just to sort of finish out the plot. What happens is that Zach Elgin reunites with Gizmo and sort of slips him into his coat, tries to take him home. And of course, because th- there's there's no way to care for these things. They're it is too dangerous. Things go wrong immediately. Mm-hmm. There's there's a comical scene involving the, the, a the, drinking, the drinking fountain, fountain. yeah, <laughs> that shoots across the room onto Gizmo's head against all odds and sprouts a bunch of weird looking other Mogwai, especially compared to yeah. the first movie. So they're really they're really taking the design a lot further. And uh, Kate accidentally takes the wrong one home. Hell is raised. They go back. More hell is raised. And it spirals completely out of control, but is also 100% in control the entire time. There is so much imagination, so much unfettered creativity and mania throughout this entire thing. It is impossible not to have a total blast watching this And that's exactly what it is. It's a, a blast from beginning to end. You know, yeah. I, I think there was one tasteless joke that I was like, mm, and that was it. And the rest of it, you're just on board the entire time. Um, everything from cameos to like little tiny jokes yeah. uh, that that you'll just think about, like uh, the, the the smart smart gremlin. He just grows glasses. I'm pretty sure um, yes. they just show up. Um, it's just so jam packed full of like little tiny details. I'm pr- I'm very sure that there is the uh opening shining theme at one point in this movie really i think so um right after the big climax uh immediately right after that very very positive um i didn't notice that at all i would not be surprised yeah there's cameos from hank and tuco from breaking bad uh both in this uh in little tiny scenes fun fact um well, it's just jam-packed. You know, Murray shows up again and makes a little joke about foreign <laughs> bugs. Now yeah, he doesn't for no like real them. reason <laughs> yeah. whatsoever either. Yeah, they try to kind of make him like a a really likable character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like almost a hero. Um, yeah, it kind of works. It kind of works. Definitely they kind of forget the, about what they did to him in the first one. But Yeah, sort of the, the tastelessness is not as overt in yeah. this one. It's still there, but what are you going to do? I guess my favorite uh, cameo is Leonard Malton. Yeah. Who plays himself in a, in a fake segment called movie police and says, welcome to the movie police blows a whistle, starts reviewing the movie. Gremlins. (laughs) Gremlins. (laughs) He starts trashing it. 
and then starts getting <laughs> overrun by actual gremlins and, and keeps giving yeah, reviews. Yeah, I was about to say, they, they show up and they're being loud right in his face and he doesn't <laughs> care. He keeps going. <laughs> Does not give a damn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's so many little little tiny bits like that that are just so funny. Anytime they're on a set, the cooking set is one of the funniest things oh, ever. Yes. She is hilarious. Um, yeah, she's slowly like getting, getting intoxicated yeah. <laughs> throughout the entirety of the thing. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, it's one of it's my hilarious. favorites. Is there's this old guy who's playing like a TV Dracula? Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what that's about. His name's he, Uncle something. Uncle's yeah, Uncle for, let me Frank look or right something. Now. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Oh, he's he's, he's fantastic too. <laughs> Grandpa Fred. <laughs> Grandpa Fred. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Robert Prosky, who is, I don't even know what it's supposed to be. Like some sort of weird variety show it's, or something. Uh, it, I read that it was based on the guy who plays one of the uncles or something in the original Munsters show, who had his own program where he oh intru- yeah introduce uh, um black and white movies or, or TV episodes. I, I can't quite remember, but it's, it's heavily based on that. And you know, he has his own arc too in this yeah. movie. He's just like this new character that shows up. He's dressed as Dracula the entire time. You're like, who the, mm-hmm. who the hell is this? And then he's a character who has his own little tiny arc that he's trying to get over. Yeah. And it's great. There are so many details we could, it would take a while to name them all, but there, some of my favorites are there's a, there's an early scene with grandpa Fred actually, where he's walking through the mall in the full Dracula outfit. Look at the people in the background. Just give really weird looks like really? this guy dressed as Dracula. <laughs> I, walking saw, through the middle I saw of the a hotel. few moments of that. I was not paying attention to that in that scene though. Another, another small detail I love is that it, it's after hell starts to break loose. We yeah. see a bunch of the mog of the of the gremlins in the uh, the genetics lab or whatever. Christopher Lee shows up for whatever reason holding like a giant seed pod. I don't even know what yeah. that was about. <laughs> Walks in. One of the gremlins, they start drinking all these serums with different pictures of animals on them. One of them drinks a bat serum and turns into a gremlin bat and mm-hmm. flies out the like out of the skyscraper and leaves the Michael Keaton Batman symbol imprinted it, into the it, wall. It, the exact Batman symbol goes outside, attacks Murray, gets yeah. covered in concrete, and then becomes a gargoyle. <laughs> becomes a gargoyle. All within perfectly. like five minutes. I don't know. <laughs> the funniest thing though is that as it's a as it's attacking Murray and he's stumbling through the streets. Everyone, no one notices the gremlin. They're not bothered by it. They're more bothered by the fact that Murray is getting in their way yeah. as they're walking to work or whatever yeah. than they are by the demonic That's New York creature. That's New York, That's baby. New York. It reminded me of, and this is very fitting, it reminded me of Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, Still in which the exact it. same things happen where – there are all these New Yorkers who could not be bothered to care about anything. They are so nonplussed by all the mania that they're seeing. It just, if you're paying attention to it, it is just the funniest thing. And that is, that is one of the movies that is sort of famous for being a sequel that really flew off the rails. This is 19, that was 89. I want to say so there, it very well could have been a reference and, Gosh, we could go on. There are so many. There's the spider gremlin. Spider there's gremlin. The, there's the electric gremlin. There's the, the electric gremlin. Brain my gremlin. Favorite, my favorite thing, though, is actually not. It, it's just a small detail, but it's 
one of the silly things they're doing in this lab, which is they're making electric cheese. Is that what that was? Do you remember that? No. Where they're they're infusing <laughs> no. electricity into cheese so that rats will eat it, and because of course there's so many rats in oh, the world, okay. and they will yeah, become yeah. a source of power. Yeah. Oh my god, okay. What's yeah. the I remember deal that. with that? <laughs> I had no idea it was for power though. Because they touch a light bulb to it and yeah. it turns on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's one of the many things. We could go on so long. Like no, what like what else is there? Fantastic satire of of so many movies like that. You know, exactly how Paul Ver- Verhoeven does the same thing with uh, Starship Troopers or RoboCop or Total Recall, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. We were talking before vaguely about like our favorite joke from this one. Did you already mention it? I didn't. Okay. What is it? I want you to tell me first. Okay. We were talking off air. We both had a joke from this movie we really liked, but we didn't reveal it. Jason, uh, what is yours? The Lincoln uh, where um, Phoebe Cates, starts telling another story yes about lincoln that's it that's it that's oh it. my dude I, that's the one i was crying <laughs> i don't remember that joke and the because way she she does it oh she is fantastic in that scene she commits really hard yeah. to it. do you know what do you know the extra reason why that is funny uh because um because that's how people felt about the first one they didn't know if it was yeah. funny or or like people didn't like that scene in the first one, you know, Steven Well, because Spielberg it's didn't not funny. It. It's, it's actually very dramatic and genuine. And they yeah. thought that it was out of place and everyone advised Joe Dante. Hey, we really think you should take this. Yeah, scene Spielberg out. said, but eventually, eventually he won out and it actually, and it really, really brings a lot to the movie. So I'm glad it was yeah. kept in. And then, but then just to poke fun at it, there's another scene where Phoebe Cates is trying to tell another story from the bottom of her heart. And everyone just could not be bothered to it's listen to it. Seriously. One of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. I was especially crying. that it's about Lincoln. Yeah. Like if it was an actually genuine emotional story, yeah. it might've been a little insensitive, but that they're clearly just, poking fun at that exact same thing yeah and how she almost seems like she's making fun of how she was acting in the first one you know certain little mannerisms she does it's it's hilarious it really is hilarious it is a blast from beginning to end it really is i think i might say it's better than the first one i can't decide because they're so good for completely different reasons they both do their exact thing so perfectly yeah. that it's it's hard for me to decide. Honestly, I would probably rather rewatch the second one. And I just oh, yeah. watched it a matter of hours ago. Same. So that's really saying something. Yeah. I really loved it. So yeah, so Jason, we we let's let's give our recommendations for Gremlins. Let's do it for Gremlins 2 first, and then we'll circle back to the first okay. one just to keep this tone going. What do you got? Um I was thinking, um well, it kind of reminds me of the way that uh you know, Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two feel yeah, with each other, um, but uh, I was thinking more of like Texas Chainsaw Two, hmm. how that just kind of throws all the seriousness out um, for more kind of jokey stuff. But also, um, oh god, what was I thinking? Um, like the Paul Verhoevens, I said. Um, you know, no, I'll, I'll I'll stick with Texas Chainsaw Two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad choice. My choice, you're going to love this, Jason, and you're going to regret not thinking of it yourself. Okay. It is a movie we have seen together in a theater. <gasps> Color out of space. Nope. No. Oh, okay. Not even that close. was That was on mine. Sorry. <laughs> that's a good one, though. That's not bad. That is not bad. The way it sort of escalates in craziness, yeah. that is, that is um, a good choice. 
But no, mine is none other than, I'm really drawing it out. Oh, man. Nobuhiko Obayashi's Haosu. Oh, man. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I was thinking of of doing that. Yeah. That is a really, really wild, wacky, crazy, what the hell is going on movie about a bunch of girls who go to like a haunted house and it is some pretty ludicrous stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it also put like brain dead, brain dead in there too. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? Peter Jackson. Yeah. Hasu, yeah some of the weirder Shaw brothers movies definitely mm-hmm. be in there. There, there are a lot we could go with. What yeah. was, uh, did you have one separately for gremlins one? Yeah. It's, it's kind of, on beginning surface seems like it's, it's exactly what gremlins one is. It's a brain damage. Um, basically I've it's never seen it. It's, it's this guy who might as well be Zach Galligan. Okay. Um, they look entirely similar, but, uh, he basically just comes across this other creature. Um, it's kind of cute or not really cute actually in this one, but, uh, it's, it's, it's like a anti gremlins. You know, hmm. uh, where Gizmo is automatically bad. Interesting. But it's just... It's like an very, evil pet kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Very, very fun movie, too. Okay. Interesting. Mine is also connected by way of the monsters themselves. It is not a movie, actually. I'm sort of, I'm sort of bending the rules a little bit. It is two TV episodes that actually connect to gremlins and to each other in a weird way. The first one is an episode of Star Trek, the original series called The Trouble with Tribbles. Have you heard of this, Jason? (laughs) No, I have not. Okay, so The Trouble with Tribbles is an episode in which the Enterprise, in the midst of sort of this trade dispute with the Klingons, happen upon these furry creatures called Tribbles (laughs) that are just little balls of fur. Like, they don't even have faces, but they just... They're just balls of fur and they multiply at a staggering rate. And they realize we have to deal with this because this doesn't seem like a huge deal, but this could very easily get even more out of hand than it already has. And it leads to one of my favorite shots I've ever seen where Captain Kirk finally catches wind of this and says, what is going on on my ship? I will not have these tribbles doing (laughs) crazy things and goes to like, I forget what it like a storage locker or something. It's this like cupboard on the ceiling sort of and opens it. And these tribbles, these fur balls start pouring out for a long time. And then you see William Shatner just give this look like this scowl at everyone else for letting it get to the point that it has for being so irresponsible with it. And then it cuts to commercial and you expect it to come back and be a different scene. It cuts back. It's the same scene. And Kirk is up to like his waist in triple <laughs> still going, still scowling. It is one of my favorite things ever. It is unlike a lot of star Trek, the original series episodes, but, but it's, it's a lot like this- gremlins. It's sort of this palate cleanser where you have all these serious ones that are dealing with a lot of really heady philosophical ideas. And then you just have this one where they just have to deal with a space creature. And the way it resolves is just perfect. I'm not going to give it away, but it is really funny and really effective. The second thing I'm going to mention. Okay. So, Jason, I don't know if you know this. Do you know the actual origin of uh, Gremlins? Um, Is it 
have anything to do with what Murray's saying in the first one about uh, World War II? Yes. Okay. It's exactly that. In World War II, when there was sort of unexplained technical malfunctions, they built this urban legend of these creatures that were coming in when no one was looking and sabotaging the equipment. It was their way of basically getting themselves off the hook, saying like, hey, what am I going to do? It's gremlins, you know? (laughs) I don't know if that's actually how it played out, but that's the basic idea. And there is an episode of The Twilight Zone called Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Starring William, William Shatner. Shatner. How about yeah. that? What a fan- yeah, that's I Where think the only episode I've ever seen of that show. He's recently recovered from a nervous breakdown and is going on a flight on a plane. It's storming out. It's dark out. Looks out the window at one point and sees a creature dismantling the plane. That's and a, says, yeah. there is a creature on the wing of the plane. I'm not insane. I can assure you. And That's it is one of the most yeah. iconic. It is one of the most iconic uh, Twilight Zone episodes, and it's really suspenseful. And the design of the creature itself is really scary, especially because yeah. we don't really see it that well a lot. Yeah, and we have no idea what it is. It's like some furry, That's another furry one that, man. Yeah, yeah, it's really creepy looking. It's really memorable, and that's, that's great, another one that that's a great, ends really fantastically. Yeah, that's a great you know comparison to Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so bending the rules a little bit, but yeah. I thought I might no, as I well because fantastic. it's got yeah. it's got the the William Shatner connection and also the Gremlins connection. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, Jason, we did it. We did it. This is one of the longest ones in a while, it, but I had a ton is, of fun. Yeah, no, same. It, it yeah. was. Even more fun to probably watch them, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like watching Gremlins 2 again was yeah. such a blast. I, and I, I watched I it hope in that the I, morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did the exact I same thing. I never do that. Yeah. I never have fun then. I, I hope that uh, someday we can watch it together. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, I would love that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, Jason, I want let, to let's, uh, let's say real fast, where, uh, where would you like for, to direct the listeners if they want more Jason <laughs> in their lives? Where can they go? Letterbox, uh, yep. Twitter. I don't really, you know, use either. Um, I don't. I don't publish. I don't really publish reviews You're or a ratings. Man of many mysteries. Yeah, I don't publish ratings or reviews on Letterbox, but I'm constantly adding to it. I'm just not publishing them. So you know, mm-hmm. find me on there if you think of a movie and you want to. You're thinking like, oh, what, what would Jason think of this one? Go on there, see if I've seen. It. Yeah, that's as that's as half-hearted as a, of a plug as yeah. I've ever heard. On this <laughs> yeah. show. I am also on Letterboxd. Uh, that will be linked in the show notes. I'm also on Twitter at Nolan Sam. Chat with me on there. We could have some fun. Talk about any and all of these movies and yeah. anything else. Yeah. I look forward to it. And without any further ado, I think I, I really hope I'm not forgetting something. We I think we will sign off from. Uh, the, the branch on the tree that Corey Feldman is wearing in Gremlins. I'm Sam. Should I do mine? The one oh, I came up will with? Do yours. Oh no, okay. Alright. Um, from Phoebe Phoebe Cates' chimney, I'm Jason. You monster. I know. You monster. I know. We'll see you on the next Extra Milestone. Alright, see ya.